Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there, I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. This episode is going to be all about alcohol, insomnia, and sleep in sobriety. Questions about sleep, about does alcohol help me get to sleep, about when sleep will start being really good in early sobriety, about what's going on and how they can sleep in the first couple of weeks after they stop drinking are some of the most common questions I get. I know it's a big thing for a lot of people, especially if you've got busy jobs and young children and you're tired and exhausted. And a lot of people go a couple of days without drinking. They're in withdrawal. They're scared that they're not sleeping really well, possibly. And then they go back to drinking, which just sort of perpetuates the cycle. I've been waiting a long time to find the right guest, the right sleep expert who also understands drinking and quitting drinking to bring on this podcast. And when I found James Swanick, I reached out to him and he immediately replied. So I was thrilled. James is an Australian American investor, entrepreneur, and speaker. He's also a former sports center anchor on ESPN. He's the creator of the Alcohol Free Lifestyle style, which helps people change their relationship with alcohol and is the host of the podcast, Alcohol Free Lifestyle. He's the creator of Project 90, which helps high achievers get lifetime power over alcohol. And he also has done a ton of work around sleep and is the creator of Blue Light Blocking Glasses, Swannies by Swanick Sleep, which help improve your sleep. And I found James through an episode on his Alcohol-Free Lifestyle podcast that was all about the gold standard of sleep. And I wanted him to come on and talk to you guys about that. So James, welcome to the podcast. Casey, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. I kind of laid out right before we got started all the questions I usually get about sleep. It's a huge topic. And do you want to just dive in and tell us what contributes to good sleep, what hurts it, and the relationship of alcohol with it all? 
Yeah, well, to start with, alcohol is a sleep destroyer, no question. And a lot of people mistakenly believe that drinking alcohol will help them sleep in the night. And what's true is that having some alcohol may, in fact, make you feel sleepy or sleepier, and it may actually knock you out or put you to sleep, to speak. However, the quality of your sleep will be severely compromised because of that alcohol. Well, yes, having a glass of wine at the end of the night may help you to wind down sufficiently enough to fall asleep. It comes with some pretty dire consequences, unfortunately, because at a time when your body is supposed to be going into a restorative phase where the hormones are resetting, the glucose in your brain is replenishing, your muscles are restoring, um, your body is trying to relax. Because you've had that seemingly innocent glass of wine at the end of the night, your body's now going to work. And when your body goes to work, you don't sleep the way that nature intended you to sleep. And that's why so many people sadly wake up feeling tired and lethargic and irritable, which of course we know leads to people wanting to seek refuge from drinking more alcohol at the end of the day. It's like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so irritable. Oh, let me have a drink. And it just keeps pouring this gasoline on the fire. That's the, I think the first thing, Casey, to really stress is that even though your listeners may believe that alcohol helps them sleep, it really doesn't. It, it, it disturbs and disrupts the quality of their sleep. Yeah. And I know you mentioned a glass of wine, like when I was drinking, unless I was working really, really hard to moderate and sort of quote unquote, be good in my mind, I was regularly drinking a bottle of wine a night, sometimes more. I always called it going to sleep, but it was definitely for me passing out, sometimes passing out on the couch where my husband couldn't wake me up. And then so many women I talked to, and I know I had this too, have the 3 a.m. wake up with the racing heart and the anxiety and just not being able to fall asleep between 3 and 5 a.m. And I feel like that's what you described on steroids, right? With the withdrawal when the alcohol leaves your body a couple hours later. Yeah. Think about it. You're, you're asking your liver to go to work to break down the toxins that you've just poured into your body from a seemingly innocent half bottle or glass of attractively packaged poison. I like to call alcohol attractively packaged poison because that's what it is. You wake up at three o'clock in the morning because your body's been working. Anything that you can do to... In fact, in regards to alcohol and sleep, you're actually better off to have alcohol with breakfast than you are at nighttime because at least that will give your body 12 hours to get rid of the toxins from your body, which will put your body into a position later near a bedtime to actually be able to fall asleep the way nature intended you to fall asleep mm -hmm. and to be able to sleep through the night. As crazy as it sounds, as you're making your morning breakfast, you're better off pouring yourself a glass of wine then than you are at nighttime. And I think women in particular have a really tough time with sleep because there are biological conditions that are unique to women, like the menstrual cycle, like pregnancy and menopause. And those things can really affect how well a woman sleeps. And that's because the changing levels of hormones that a woman experiences throughout the month and over her lifetime, like for example, estrogen and progesterone, they have a pretty significant impact on sleep as well. Really understanding the effects of those hormones, the enviro environmental factors and lifestyle habits, and just doing whatever you can to at the very least reduce your alcohol intake. Or if you are going to drink, have it as far away from bedtime as possible. That's going to at least give you some kind of marginal improvement. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective 
than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi is being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Yeah, and I know that when people drink every day or when I drank every day, my body probably had not had a good night of sleep in years, maybe decades, other than when I was pregnant. You really do have a lot of time that you need to catch up on and your body needs to recover from that, right? What are the negative health implications from not getting enough sleep? It's been linked to obesity. It's a lot harder to lose weight when you're not sleeping well. It's been linked to higher levels of stress and anxiety, which shows up as irritability, which shows up in strained relationships. Maybe you snap at your husband or your partner or you're more irritable with your kids. You're not as uh, productive in your work. You're not as effective in your work. It's been linked to cancers, all, all types of cancers. The list goes on. And despite that, we as a society are just chronically sleep deprived. Mm. And despite that, the, the, the education level, like our knowledge and understanding of sleep is still very, very small. I could probably suggest that most people would could name me art Netflix TV series, at least one, or a TV series that they watch online, but I don't think anyone could tell me, oh, what do you think is the biggest contributor to sleep? Or what do you think will give you the best leverage with your sleep performance tonight? And that people would look at me like, what? what do you, I don't understand. What are you talking about? What we focus on grows, obviously. You're doing an outstanding job in helping to educate people around the effects of alcohol and I acknowledge you for that. And I think conversations like these are so important to really educate people as to the habits that are not only just compromising your sleep, but the flow-on effects of irritability and stress and anxiety and weight gain and diabetes and liver disease and broken marriages and relationships. People are blaming their partner for a failed relationship. Maybe you should have just gotten more sleep or better sleep. Yeah. You weren't reacting so much. Instead, maybe you were responding to challenges in your relationship. You mentioned, and I think you're right, before I listened to your podcast on the gold standard of sleep, the things that I thought would help my sleep and and what I've been doing is a few things, right? Like I know that I sleep better when I exercise. I always exercise in the morning. Typically I have trouble putting my daughter typically I have trouble falling asleep when I'm not putting my daughter to sleep, which is crazy. My daughter is eight. She wants me to read to her every night and then she wants to cuddle, <laughs> which I do every night. And I always fall asleep in her room. Pitch dark, she's breathing, she's warm. I've read for a while with her. We've chatted. The nights that I don't... Well, which then of course my husband wakes me up two hours later to like move me into our bedroom. The nights I don't, my mind is racing. I'm like watching shows before bed. I'm usually up till midnight. And then when I try to fall asleep, I like put on maybe essential oils and a sleep meditation from like Insight Timer or Headspace or something. What is the best way to help improve your sleep quality and to get a good night's sleep? Why don't I give you what I refer to as the gold standard of sleep? It's what you can do first thing in the morning, the, later on in the morning, lunchtime, afternoon, evening to ensure you get a great night's sleep. Shall I go through that? Yeah, absolutely. In my opinion, the biggest and best thing that you can do to improve your sleep quality is to manipulate light. And I'm going to just explain what that means in a second. So First thing in the morning when you wake up, I invite you to go and go outside or stand by a window and let the sunlight, the morning sunlight, hit your skin and without a pair of sunglasses, look up into the sky or look around. And what that does is that the sunlight, when it hits your skin and our skin have receptors on it, it tells our body, okay, this is wake up time. This is daytime. I am ready to now flood your body with daytime hormones. And when that happens, your internal clock, which is called your circadian rhythm, it almost puts on a timer 
And the timer now is going to go all the way until about eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night when your body is now going to go, oh, okay, now I know it's time to flood your body with nighttime hormones. I'm now going to turn on the melatonin faucet. I'm going to flood your body with melatonin. I'm going to help you to fall asleep. I'm going to help you to sleep deeply. The first thing you can do, first thing you can do in the morning is expose yourself to as much natural light as possible. That sets your internal clock, your circadian rhythm to then help turn on the melatonin later on at nighttime when you're ready to go to sleep. In relation to coffee, the studies show that any coffee after uh, 12 p.m., or sorry, I should say any coffee within eight hours of your intended sleep time is going to disrupt the quality of your sleep. For example, if you're planning on going to sleep at 8 p.m., sure your last coffee is at 12. If you're planning to go to sleep at 10 p.m., no coffee after 2 p.m. Now, Casey, I've had many um, people over the years who've given me pushback over this because they say, oh, I have a cappuccino at nighttime or, or I have a shot or, with dinner and I fall asleep just fine. And my response to them is, well, you fall asleep just fine, but the sleep quality is going to be severely compromised. And there are thousands of people all over the world who track their sleep using a wearable, like the Aura Ring, for example, and they can track the sleep quality based on whether they had coffee or not within eight hours of going to sleep. <laughs> well, I have to say, I have a serious coffee habit that I have definitely been unwilling to kick. I drink a lot of coffee every day, including like I was going to my son's baseball game last night at 5.30 at night and went through the Starbucks drive-thru to pick up a coffee because it was cold and rainy. Yeah, I heard what you said and I am definitely going to think about it. People in the past have been like, why don't you cut down on your coffee? And I'm sort of like, dude, fuck you. I quit drinking. Can I have nothing in my life? What <laughs> I mean? When is your last cup of coffee, Casey? Well, it depends. Like last night was 5.30. That was pretty unusual, 5.30 p.m. Usually, yeah, noonish. Maybe that's okay. Occasionally 2 p.m. if, if I'm dragging. I worked at Starbucks corporate for a bunch of years. I kind of got... I kind of got used to every... They had a latte station at every break place, which was pretty cool. What time do you go to sleep at night? 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. if I'm with my daughter. Okay. As long as you're not drinking coffee after 2 p.m., that will give you an opportunity to sleep the way that nature intended you to sleep. And does it matter how much coffee you drink or not really? Not, not in relation to sleep because it takes about eight hours for the stimulant to get out of the system. Even if you've taken five shots at two o'clock, I think all five shots are going to be out and gone. The stimulating effect will be gone eight hours later. So the, okay. the, the key metric, Casey, really is eight hours. It's an eight-hour window. All right. You're making me feel better. I, can, I think I can do that. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy. But one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. There are studies that show that morning exercise is more conducive to a good night's sleep than afternoon or evening. They did a study which showed, which seemed to suggest rather that people who exercised in the morning <clears throat> tended to exercise regularly anyway, because when they do it in morning, it tends to be more of a habit. Life doesn't get in the way. You're less likely to abandon your workout 
And it's very important that we're sleeping in a very cool environment or that our, our core body temperature is very cool. And if we are exercise too close to bedtime and we raise that core body temperature, then it's a lot more challenging for us to get a good night's sleep. If you can, exercise do in the morning rather than late afternoon or early evening. Really, really important. We've already spoken about the alcohol, but I'll say it again because it's worth repeating. And that is, if you can just stop drinking alcohol altogether, your sleep will transform. Just know that, that every time you drink alcohol, you are compromising your sleep. That's just it. It's very challenging, I think, for people to, I guess, blame their poor sleep habits or, or say, oh, I can't sleep. I don't know why I've tried everything. I just can't sleep. And they're still drinking alcohol because all of the science, all of the studies show us that your body has to go to work to break down the toxins and to flush the toxins out of the body as soon as you, you drink alcohol. Next most important thing, we've mentioned a few important yeah. things. The next most important thing is to block as much light as possible at nighttime. Just so how I advise to expose yourself to as much natural sunlight as possible in the morning, it's imperative that you block as much artificial light at nighttime. Now, just before I tell you, I advise how to do that, your bathroom light, kitchen light, bedroom light, cell phone screen light, television screen light, the microwave light, the refrigerator light, the speedometer light in your car. All of these lights are emitting an artificial blue light, which compromises your melatonin production, which keeps you stimulated, which keeps you irritable. But nighttime at a time when your body is wanting to prepare for sleep, if you are cooking food with the lights on, and not protecting your eyes. If you are watching a Netflix TV series without protecting your eyes, if you're scrolling on your phone, if you're using the fridge, if you're using the microwave, you are compromising your night's sleep. Now, the way to, to counter that is to wear a pair of blue light blocking glasses and blue light blocking glasses that have an orange lens. There are blue light blocking glasses that have a clear lens, but they're more for daytime use. And I'll explain that a little bit later. Nighttime, it's imperative that you wear a pair of blue light blocking glasses with an orange lens because orange is the opposite of blue. Orange blocks the blue light that's trying to penetrate your eyes. When you wear a pair of blue light blocking glasses at nighttime, then the light doesn't stimulate your brain. Your melatonin can start to flourish. You can start to feel sleepier. And then ultimately, when it's time to go to sleep, you remove the glasses and you fall asleep much quicker. You sleep deeper and you wake up feeling um, much more refreshed. My company, Swanick Sleep, we produce light blocking glasses. They're called Swannies. We've got about 200,000 people now who use these things. They're now worn by professional athletes at the New York Knicks and Manchester United, the New Orleans Saints. A lot of the sleep science experts are now giving our glasses to their pro athletes because they have recognized the absolute importance of their star athletes getting a great night's sleep. Block as much of that artificial light with a pair of blue light blocking glasses at night as possible. When you're doing that, do you just kind of go about your day? And then at some point, like, is it within an hour of going to sleep, you put on the glasses? Exactly. In a perfect scenario, we would live our life by candlelight and we would never have any electronic and artificial light at all. But it's 2022. We're very used to electricity. We're used to light bulbs. We're used to screens. And it's unrealistic to think that tonight, Casey, you're going to turn off all the lights and the electricity in your home and start walking around with a candle. However, if the best night's sleep is your goal, that's exactly what you should do. You should literally sit in the dark and, and carry a, a, a candle around because natural flame, like fire, does not disrupt your melatonin production. Mm -hmm. you, that's why when you're out camping and you're in the dark and you're all sitting around a fire and you're telling stories, you often get some of the best night's sleep that you've ever had because you're not staring at screens. There's no lights from traffic lights and street lights. You're just out in nature. And the only light you have is, is natural flame. The moment that we start staring into artificial light, that is when our sleep starts to be compromised. What I do, the way I wear my glasses, because yeah. I've, I've, got, I've got dozens of my glasses here because I own the company and I can have dozens if I want, right? <laughs> I wear my... I put my glasses on about one hour before I know I want to 
sleep and I keep them on until I turn off the last light and then I, I crawl into bed and then I remove them. What I don't do is put them on, use them, and then 10 minutes before I intend to sleep, take them off and go and brush my teeth in the bathroom light because the bathroom light is now blasting my eyes and now compromising my melatonin production. It's not just your screen, it's any light. It's any light that emits an artificial light. The way you brush your teeth at night, Casey, is disrupting your sleep because you're brushing your teeth in the bathroom without protecting your eyes with uh, from the light. And yeah. so that's compromising your melatonin production. There's a lot of little things that you can do that you talked about, right? Exercising in the morning, getting natural sunlight, cutting off caffeine by noon or 2 p.m. And then sort of the big ones are... The alcohol, because I was looking up stats when we were gonna gonna have this call on it. In some of the sleep studies, they said less than one drink for women decreased sleep quality by nine percent. Having a single drink for women could decrease sleep sleep quality for women by twenty four percent. And anything over more than one drink for a woman can decrease your sleep quality by 39%, which is crazy to me because that's a lot of difference. And then the blue light, right? Wearing those glasses, staying away from your screen, all that kind of transition time. Yeah. You mentioned some studies there. We had the University of Washington and Indiana State University both do studies on our um, Swanix sleep blue light blocking glasses. And they put hundreds of people through this study and the results were that those who wore the glasses for an hour in the last hour before they went to sleep reported sleeping 14% better. Mm. That's huge. That is a monster movement. And then, excuse me, interestingly, the following day they they were surveyed again. The day after their great night's sleep, they were surveyed again and they reported a 9% increase in productivity. 9%, let's round it up to 10. 10% increase in your productivity is a, is huge. Yeah, I know that people always talk about sober sleep and how amazing it is. And I didn't believe them until I had sort of my first great night of sleep on day nine. I know a lot of people, it takes longer, but that was the first time that I had a noticeable difference. But you're right. I mean, whether it's the sleep or cutting out the alcohol or the combination, I think it's probably the combination. But once I stopped drinking and started sleeping better, it was definitely my job was easier. I was more optimistic. I was happier. I had more energy. I've heard other things. Obviously, there's sleep meditation, sleep music, weighted blankets, sleep positions. Any of that really move the needle or something you recommend? They can move the needle and certainly listening to sounds that relax you. For example, binaural beats, which is a combination of beta and theta waves, which kind of puts you into a very meditative state, can certainly help to, to quieten the mind because a lot of people really struggle myself included sometimes, Casey, and maybe you've experienced this, with the mind that keeps on racing. There's so many things you're thinking about all the time. It's like racing, racing, racing. And yes, listening to soothing, relaxing audio tracks, I am all for. However, chances are if you're going to listen to those audio tracks before in the last hour before you go to sleep, then you're probably putting it on your phone or your computer, which of course then exposes you to that artificial light. If you are going to do that, make sure you're doing it while wearing a pair of blue light blocking glasses. Because well, what is the point of you saying, oh, great, I've got this relaxing meditation I'm going to do now, she's going to put me to sleep. But you're literally sitting in bed with the lights off, staring into a, your phone, which is essentially a mini sun. It's a sun that's blasting you. If you are going to use meditations, things like that, audio tracks, only set them up and use your phone while wearing a pair of glasses. Oil diffusers are good, but you can create, um, you can burn little bits of lavender scent or um, chamomile and things like that. That's beautiful. That's that's perfectly okay. In fact, recommended. Anything that will get you into a nice, relaxed state 
is a good thing. A lot of people, you can also drink magnesium or take um, a magnesium supplement close to bed because magnesium tends to relax you as well. Some people take magnesium baths, of course. And then the other thing is ensuring that you have a very cool environment. And a lot of people get this, well, a lot of people mistakenly think that they a cool environment means that staying warm means you've got to have like so many dunas and so many blankets and all these kind of things. I would rather you have a cool room and lots of blankets and keeping yourself warm than having a warm room and just having like a light sheet on you. It's so, so important that you're in a cool environment. If you have an air conditioning unit, you want to set it to somewhere around 68 degrees Fahrenheit. 67, 68, 69. That's quite chilly. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's quite chilly. That you're right, it is quite chilly, but it's okay to then rug up with some blankets or dunas as long as the environment is cool. Because studies have shown that anything above 69 degrees, like as soon as you get into the 70 degrees, your sleep, your ability to sleep well starts to starts to drop. Hmm. That's interesting because I think everyone knows on like incredibly hot days or nights it's really hard to sleep, like tossing and turning. I live in Seattle, Washington, and I think a third or two thirds of the houses here don't actually have air conditioning. Ours doesn't. And I know that in the summer, when it gets up to 90 degrees, we're like making the kids take cold showers and putting washcloths on them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's so true, isn't it? Super, super hot summer day, hard to go to sleep that night. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool environment. Even in the dead of winter, a lot of people want to blast their their room with 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 hot air. Mm. Maybe you live in the snow. The temptation is to do that. Again, my recommendation is just make sure whatever you do, just keep your your bedroom's temperature below 69 degrees, between 65, 69 degrees, because that is going to ensure you get a great night's sleep. In fact, I remember I was in Park City, Utah at the Sundance Film Festival about six, seven years ago and we had this beautiful mansion that we were renting, several friends of, of mine and, and, and I. And uh, it was very cold outside and my friends had blasted all this hot air throughout the home. And by the time I went to sleep, I was like, man, it's so hot in here. I was literally sleeping in a singlet and a pair of shorts and only had one sheet and it was freezing cold outside, but stinking hot in my room. Yeah. And I ended up opening the window of the, of my bedroom that I was sleeping in to allow the cool snowy winter's air to come in and just cool that room down. And as soon as I did that, I was able to sleep beautifully that night. And when I woke up, yeah, I was a little chilly, but I just rugged up with, with an extra blanket and, and doona and it was actually quite cozy. I slept great. It's cool to like have the room at a cool temperature, but then still layer on blankets. So you're not cold as long as your sort of head is out or whatever. Exactly. And a lot of people think as well that it kind of mimics how we felt as unborn babies in our mother's womb. Like if you think about it, when we're in our, when we're in their mother's womb, we're kind of encased in this protective layering, aren't we? Like it's kind of dangerous outside, but we've got this, we've got this coverage going on because we're safe in the, in the mother's womb. And you can, a lot of people suggest that when it's sleeping in a cool room, but you're rugged up in with badunas and blankets and things like that, it's quite a comforting kind of unconscious feeling of, of safety because it mimics that same feeling that we had as, as unborn children. Anyway, that's not my philosophy. That's just what some people say. <laughs> some people say, and it seems quite nice to me. Um, okay. I have to ask you, what, what is a doona? I assume that's an Australian thing. Ah, is okay. Like good. A it's like a comforter or Yeah, duvet? it's a comforter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like a duvet. It's a duvet. All right. Yeah. I just feel like, I don't totally know what that is. That's cool. Thanks for asking. It's my funny Australian accent in my no, language. I, li I like the Australian accent. I mentioned before we jumped on the call that I had gone to the University of Melbourne for a semester and played rugby there. And I know you played rugby as well. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Amazing. What position did you play, Casey? A wing forward in the scrum. Oh, wow. Okay. You were like a, they call them a flanker or a breakaway as well. Yes. Yeah. You were fast to the breakdowns. You were quite <laughs> speedy and you, you had good aerobic ability and lots anaerobic ability as well. Not a lot of catching, lots of tackling. Yeah. Nice. What about you? 
I played that same position for many years. And then I also played uh, fly half, which is the number 10. So I did a bit more kicking and uh, passing and not as much tackling. Yeah. Did you binge drink as much as I did to playing rugby? That's crazy. I, uh, the answer is yes. When I moved to Los Angeles in er- the early 2000s, I joined the Los Angeles Rugby Club. And uh, at the end of games, we'd all go back to the to the team pub, which was called Sharky's at Manhattan Beach. It's kind of like this infamous bar and slash pub on right on the Pacific Ocean, about 40 minutes south of Los Angeles Airport. And if I was lucky enough to be voted the most valuable player of the game on that day, <laughs> then the reward that they would give me was I had to skull like a half pitcher of beer, which is awful. I had to literally like another word of saying skull is like chug, drink a whole thing. And they'd all be going chug, 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 chug. And I'd have to drink this Bud Light or Bud or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, and I would often feel just so awful afterwards. And I'm like, what is the point of this thing? But that was part of the culture. It was yes. like, you go into battle, you play rugby, you get beaten up. And then afterwards you go back to the pub and you drink beer with your comrades and you, and you, you bond over this substance that is so damaging to us. So yeah. I think that's where I sort of definitely got into the habit of binge shrinking and sort of thinking of blacking out is not a big deal and being funny. When you scored a try in my college, they made you like, it was called shooting the boot. You had to chug out of a dirty cleat that was brought to every game. Like it was, it was a definitely interesting, but total initiation into sort of that drinking, that drinking culture. Well, what's a bunch of back to sleep, <laughs> a bunch yeah. of the stuff you're describing, I think is great both for good sleep, which is so important, but also I know when you're in early sobriety, one of the things that's really helpful is creating a night routine an evening routine, because you're no longer sort of sitting on the couch or mindlessly watching TV the way you're used to. And in in the beginning, it can be hard to know what to do with yourself in the evenings. Some of the things you're talking about sort of winding down, putting on the glasses, cutting out caffeine, like settling in with the binaural beats, all those kinds of things I think are a good routine. What about some people obviously do like a lot of people take a hot bath and stuff like that. Is that, does that help? Does that hurt you? Well, a hot bath is okay as long as you're not doing it within the last hour before you go to sleep because your core body temperature will rise quite quite high. And remember, we want to have a cool body temperature for optimal sleep. Mm-hmm. But yes, a hot bath is very relaxing and that's terrific. But my advice would be do it, do it probably even two hours before you go to sleep to give your body enough time to lower its body temperature. Yeah. And I've heard you say before, like, don't eat within three hours of bedtime. And that's kind of good too, because it helps to shut down the kitchen where a lot of us are used to getting our drinks and then just move to another room where you don't normally drink. If you want to move up to your bedroom and start reading or watching a show or whatever, not it helps to get out of the kitchen, which would help you not eat. Thank you for, for reminding me about the impact of food on our sleep. Certainly, if you can ensure that the last bite of food that you put in your mouth happens three hours before your intended sleep time, that is also going to improve the quality of your sleep. This is actually really important because if you're eating within that three-hour window of sleep time, then again, you're putting your body to work to, to digest the food. And you're doing that at exactly the time that your body, remember, is wanting to prepare for sleep, to relax, to shut off. We're wanting to put it into a dormant state. But if you start eating or you're continuing to eat or you're snacking within three hours, what happens? Your body's now having to go to work again. I actually will set an alarm in my phone for 30 minutes before I want to complete a meal. For example, when I was sleep going to sleep at 9 p.m., when I was going through that phase, I would have an alarm that would go off at 5.30 p.m. And, it, and the alarm would say, last meal in the next 30 minutes. Mm. That was my reminder that I had 30 minutes now to go either go out to dinner or to prepare food and, and to eat. And then that was it. Once, it, once six o'clock rolled around, done. 
if 9 p.m. was my intended sleep time. I've brought it forward and I've moved it back over the years depending on what time I go to sleep. But if you're going to go to fall asleep at 10.30, then you make sure that the alarm goes off at 7 and it says you've got to eat and finish eating in the next 30 minutes. Yeah, and what is the optimal amount of sleep? I, I would assume that everybody's a little bit different. Yeah, seven to eight hours is is great. Seven to nine hours is great. A lot of people, that's just unrealistic. But the yeah. answer is get as many as you can. But more than just as many as you can, let's ensure that the quality of the as many as you can is as high as it can be. Yeah. Because you could sleep nine hours, but you drank alcohol and ate food in the last three hours before you went to sleep. And you can wake up feeling tired and lethargic as opposed <laughs> to some as opposed to someone who only slept five hours, but they didn't drink, they didn't eat, they slept in a cool environment uh, and they slept five hours and they woke up, that person could be feeling a lot better than the person who slept nine hours because it wasn't a a quality nine hours. I know people are always fixated on how many hours, how many hours. That's important, very important, but equally important is the quality of those hours. Yeah. And I laughed because I remember many times that I would not be able to motivate in the morning and sort of skip yoga and not drag myself out of bed and be laying there, but have the worst sleep ever, regardless of whether I pulled myself out of bed at 10 or 11 a.m. I hear you on that in terms of the quality of sleep. I would say for anyone listening to this, I know I get a lot of questions about sleep, how to how to beat early sobriety, insomnia, when will we sleep well? James has provided so many amazing suggestions. I think don't get overwhelmed. What this is, what I'm hoping this episode will do is give you some really good ideas about ways to improve your sleep that aren't what we've been doing in the past, which is drink a couple glasses of wine, think that's helping us go to sleep, wake up, sleep poorly, and all that stuff. But there is an adjustment period between the way you're out of the habit of falling asleep naturally. You're also in withdrawal in the first couple of weeks. If your sleep isn't great, just please stick it out. It will get better. And some of the suggestions that James gave, I think are really good anyway, because in early sobriety, routine is really, really helpful. And the goal is to kind of slow down and lower the bar. You don't have to add a million things to your list, but trying to get sunlight in the morning, going for some exercise in the morning, even if it's a walk, winding down at the end of the day, maybe reading a book or or watching a show, but blocking the, the blue light, putting on some sleep music, keeping your room cool. That's all a way where you can think like, wow, this is a period of just extreme self-care. I'm actually caring for myself for the first time in a long time. And if you can't do it all because you've got you're a nurse and you work at night or you've got kids or your husband's out late and you're dealing with all the stuff or picking up kids at 9 p.m. Like we get that, right? Like just it's it's information to try to make incremental improvements. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario 
to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Yeah. Little improvements over time add up to massive, massive change. So there's a couple of ways to do this. You could just do a complete overhaul of everything and just go, right, here's what I'm going to do. This, 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 and this, and that can work. If that seems too overwhelming, just doing, just getting a pair of blue light blocking glasses, for example, or just ensuring that an alarm goes off when you wake up. And instead of it saying, wake up, it says, wake up and get sunlight. And then you go and get natural sunlight. That can be a huge game changer for you in terms of the, the, the level of your sleep, particularly for women, because 67 percent of women actually lose sleep when when they have their period as well and then in addition to exposure to blue light the change in the hormone levels and then there's cramps and there's breast tenderness there's headaches there's the change in temperature all those things can influence a woman's sleep really for women in particular just doing anything you can to change your current habits is going to to relieve you a lot of the stress and pain that you may find yourself in um so yeah, my invitation to you is just whether it's completely overhaul your sleep or you just do a little thing this week and then you do a little extra thing the next week, do something because otherwise you know, it's just going to continue to be a miserable lifestyle as it relates to your sleep. Yeah. And I know a couple of years ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, but there was a huge conversation around sleep with Ariana Huffington's book, The Sleep Revolution. Were there any parts of that that you felt like were really interesting? I'm sure that that you're well-versed in all the sleep literature. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the stuff that came out is is knowing your chromotype as well, which is, are you naturally someone who goes to sleep late or early? Are you someone that's more productive in the morning or in the evening time? There's also, you mentioned Ariana Huffington. There's also a doctor called Dr. Michael Bruce. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book about your, about your chronotype. And uh, essentially, it helps you to, to decipher whether you are best sleeping late at night or sleeping earlier and what time you should wake up in the morning and what time you should uh, sleep in until, et cetera, et cetera. So understanding some of those things can also help. In my personal opinion of studying sleep now for seven years and also invested $100,000 plus into these university studies is, is light manipulation in the sense of exposing yourself to natural light first thing in the morning and blocking as much artificial light at night. In my opinion, that's going to move the needle the most. And then certainly just really monitoring your food and alcohol intake, especially so close to to bedtime. That's great. Well, where can people find these glasses, the Swannies? Yeah, thank you. Our website is swannicksleep.com. And then they're also available on Amazon if you type in Swannic or Swannic Sleep. My last name is spelled uh, Swanwick, S-W-A-N-W-I-C-K, but it's actually pronounced uh, Swannic. And uh, yeah, they're also available in sleep number stores across the US and sport check stores in in Canada. But the easiest way really is online at swanicsleep.com or on Amazon. Very cool. Well, I want to check those out, especially because like I said, I often fall asleep with my daughter but my husband stays up till midnight, just scrolling his phone or watching TV. I kind of want to have him try it because he always says that he never gets a good night of sleep. And I'm always like, dude, you got to come to bed earlier. You're killing me. Oh yeah. I definitely want to want to try some for him. I like how it goes. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll send you out a pair, Casey, after after we, we wrap here. Yeah, and you can try them out and maybe motivate him to get himself a pair. But if he's scrolling in his phone late at night, his sleep is definitely 100% being compromised. Yeah. 
And tell us about the Alcohol-Free Lifestyle Podcast. It's a great one. Thank you. I haven't drunk alcohol since 2010. And I coach, I guess you call them high performers, executives, entrepreneurs, mom and dads, people in there who might identify as being in middle age, like mid, mid-30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. That's kind of the demographic I, I tend to work with. And we have this podcast called Alcohol-Free Lifestyle and Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And we interview a lot of graduating clients who go through my 90-day stop drinking experience, which is called Project 90. And those interviews tend to be very inspiring and motivating for, for people who listen to the show to help them to either reduce, moderate, or, or stop entirely. And then I do these little tips as well on how to stop drinking or reduce or how to socialize and have fun without alcohol. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on here. I'll definitely put all of your links for anyone interested in finding the podcast and your glasses and all the work you're doing in the show notes. Anyone can just go to the notes for this episode and you can find all the ways to get in touch with James. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.